0: Welcome back to the Key in the Lake Podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, it's Jake, back again from live from the Wisconsin Whiskey Festival, the inaugural Wisconsin Whiskey Festival in downtown Milwaukee. And finally, finally, we have a goddamn Iowa distillery on this (laughs) fucking podcast. I am sorry for the language, everybody out there, but I was anticipating heading a distillery from Iowa on um, for the last three and a half years as I ran this podcast. And finally, we have Murphy Quinn of the Great Cedar Ridge Distillery out of Swisher, Iowa. Welcome.
1: Hey, thanks, man. I'm so glad to be here with you. It's been a it's been a long conversation about doing this for quite some time. That we've been toying with this idea for a while, and I'm fine that uh, I'm glad that it finally came to fruition here with all of our best friends in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what an awesome turnout, though! This whiskey fest has been incredible. Yeah, so it's just like, fun.
0: I didn't really know what to think, you know, first time doing it. Um, Zach seems very organized, the organizer of the event, and. I trusted him to pull it off, and goddamn, he did. He did a great job. I'm very impressed by Zach.
1: Very organized man, and uh, he killed it. He yeah, killed absolutely. It. Yeah. It's,
0: uh, it's great to see all these brands here, um, all our friends, and all the new friends that we're making, too, along the way. But, uh, yeah, what? Uh, how's the market for you guys in Wisconsin?
1: Um, it's awesome, you know. Um, so, obviously, our bread and butter is the state of Iowa. That's, yeah. that's where we're from. That's where we got started. Um, and uh, over the last few years, we've actually been fortunate enough to claim the number one-selling bourbon in the state of Iowa. So, um, we're... We've outsold, you know, Makers, Bullet, Gym, and, and that's really, really exciting. So what we're trying to do from here is come to beautiful places like Wisconsin, uh, go to Illinois, you know, go to win some of these out-of-market games and kind of expand our, our business in the Midwest. So that's what we've got going on out here. Um, we're, we're pretty well established um, in Wisconsin so far. We've got a long way to go, though, and I look forward to, to continuing to build a brand here.
0: Amazing. Beautiful. How does that feel to know that you're outselling the major markets, uh, major brands in your own market, in your backyard?
1: Uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, that, that, was, that was such a win for us. It was such a turning point in the uh, development of our business and our distillery. So it's definitely been incredible. But I always have to give a shout-out to Iowans for that. I mean, uh, without the support of Iowans in the first place, uh, we wouldn't have a business at all. So uh, obviously a lot of effort and strategy on our end went into that. But really, it was the Iowans who supported it that that came out and did that for us.
0: Which that really just is the epitome of Iowans, right there. We get super excited we get super excited about anything that's happening from the people that come from where we come from. You look at like any Olympian or any random athlete when they graduate and go on to the pros or whatever it might be. Like, I don't care like if that person went to Iowa State, but they're an Iowan and they're playing in the NFL, I will support them on that. My wife makes fun of me so much because we she she's like you guys are so excited about one another when you guys make it. It's like, yeah, we fucking, just 3 million of us in a pretty big state for having 3 million people there, geography-wise. And it's like, yeah, we want, we'd like to support the people that do well. And that's what, your, what the community of Iowa, the state of Iowa, Gohawks, is doing for your group distillery. It's fucking amazing.
1: That's exactly right. No, Iowa, Iowa's a very proud state full of very proud people. Um, yeah even even on you know like the national news they start talking about Iowa which they almost never do yeah you know my grandma will call me it's like hey, hey they're talking about Iowa on the news I mean um, you know we, we all love our state so much and uh, you know the real bummer is that that so many people treat it like it's kind of a flyover state <laughs> or a drive-through state and they yeah. don't they don't stop and check it out there's so much cool stuff going on in the state of Iowa there's so much to do so much to see and yeah man we you know we all support each other and that's what it's all about
0: heck yeah I mean do one little thing here to adjust the audio to make sure it all works out hold for one second audience you don't even know this even happened and we're back quick little audio to t- over there um eric Rosentreiter has joined us once again he's making his second appearance on the podcast at the great inaugural wisconsin whiskey festival um but murphy how did how did cedar ridge come about uh well man how did we come about it was actually kind of
1: a weird a weird setup very different than most um, uh, so we actually started out as more of a winery focus, believe it or not. When we, when we wrote the business plan, we being my parents back in 2005, it was much more to be a Iowa winery. And what we were gonna do was differentiate our winery by also making some small craft spirits, mainly vodka, gin, and a little bit of rum. So it was just this really small, like garage setup business, very tiny. Um, but then as time went on, uh, my dad, Jeff kind of had this light bulb moment here we are in the state of Iowa, you know, corn country, the corn capital of the world. Bourbon by law has to be made from corn, yet no one in Iowa is producing a bourbon, and that's just nonsense. So, um, you know, immediately we started getting that bourbon game and hit it very hard right away. Kind of went all in on it, and luckily, like we mentioned earlier, I mean, Iowans they really came out and supported right away, and that has allowed us to go from 2005 when we were in a literal garage um, to. You know, 2022 now, um, and we're on a 75 acre campus with, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 different buildings now, and we're producing 200 barrels a month. So we've gone from just this teeny little thing to a, a fairly sizable
0: distillery over the last 17-ish years. And that's all due to the the support that we've received. It is amazing that that aha moment hasn't happened more um, in the Midwest in general, when it comes to distillation, as we do like have some of the best soil in the entire world to grow great grains. And obviously, like you said with corn, It's kind of how, like, the Henrys are the same way right there. Like, we live in the middle of a cornfield. Wait, oh, we have a (laughs) farm. Like, we could have our corn turned into whiskey, and then eventually gets there.
1: That's exactly right. The the Midwest is the ideal place, in my opinion, uh, to have just a whiskey powerhouse. Um, You know, not necessarily one, one distillery being that powerhouse, but a whole community of distilleries collectively making a whiskey powerhouse. I think it is the perfect area to do that. Not only do we have the grain, but we also have very unique weather. Um, Mm. Those temperature swings, I mean, we can really, really tap into that. In the Midwest, we get all four seasons in a very big way, and we can utilize that in our aging. So I'm a big believer in the Midwest. I think as time goes on over the next 10, 20, 30 years, I think we'll see a lot of distilleries distilleries really establish themselves here.
0: Yeah, and for you guys being, kind of one of the first craft distillers i would say like not just in iowa but in the midwest in general
1: Yeah, one of the first handful i mean when we opened up there there might have been 20 ish uh and you know now there's there's a few thousand um so it, it's really really blown up um we definitely had timing on our side as a matter of fact when we opened up uh we weren't even called a craft distillery back then it was it was micro distillery you know yeah. oh you're cedar ridge you're a micro distillery <laughs> and uh the term craft i mean that that popped up a few years into business and and then, obviously, a lot of craft distilleries have come online since then. But, yeah, early on, it was it was a micro distillery.
0: What was the first thought with you and your parents when, like, we're going to start this distillery? Whiskey was not a huge thing as it's turned into now over the last 15 years. Where do you think, where did you see yourself fitting into the market? Um, well, you know, to be
1: honest, so when they told me they were going to do this, I mean, not necessarily with the whiskey, but the Cedar Ridge business model in general. I mean, I, I was uh, 15, 16 years old. And, uh, you know, I thought they were, I thought they were fucking crazy. I was like, you know, what, what are you guys talking about? You're going to start a winery and distillery. That doesn't even make sense. You know, um, I was just a kid <laughs> in high school same and same yeah, thought my parents were just, you know, parents being weird, doing yeah, weird yeah. things. And, uh, no, it actually, I mean, they really had their head on their shoulders. Uh, they knew exactly what they're doing. They did a tremendous job. Um, then when we got in the whiskey game, I mean, um, that was a little bit more calculated. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, uh, my dad had that light bulb moment with the corn, but, uh, conveniently, at a very similar point in time, um, I happened to be working at a distillery in Colorado called Stranahan's. So I kind of cut my teeth there. I mean, I I had worked at Cedar Ridge for a number of years, but it was very much uh, helping the family business, you know, earn a little cash to put gas in my tank. (laughs) It wasn't like my calling. But uh, in 2010, uh, after college, uh, my girlfriend and I, now my wife, uh, we just decided to pack up a van and show up in Denver and when I was there, I was calling Stranahan's like every every week, just kind of just annoying them into hiring me, essentially. <laughs> and finally, I got in there, and it was when I was there that I discovered that this, this is something real. This is something I want to be a part of. This is something that I want to do forever. And anyway, while I was at Stranahan's, I was exposed to the support of Coloradoans for their product. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like their snowflake oh, yeah. release, for oh, instance. Yeah. Uh, people will camp out in an alleyway two to three nights in advance in the winter in Denver, Colorado, to get these special release snowflakes. And I saw that and I was like, you know, mom, dad, I mean you guys you guys are producing this bourbon. I mean we need to go all in on whiskey. Iowans are very proud people just like Coloradoans. If it's a good product, if we truly give them a good product that is unique, they will come out and they'll support and I think we could really be building something. So, like I said, the, the whiskey was no mistake. I mean, that was a little bit more calculated, but when they originally told me that they were getting this industry in general, I definitely thought it was a little bit out there you yeah. know, for, for where we were as a family at that point in time. What was it about Stranahan's that made you fall in love with this industry and say, this is what I want to do? Um, without question, the, the people there. Uh, the people that I worked with at Stranihan's were the coolest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, obviously, I should be careful because the people that I work with now are equally, if not more amazing. I have an awesome team. But uh, it was just where I was at in my life at that point in time that made it have such an impact on me. I mean, I, I was uh, I was very moldable. I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point. I was just kind of floating around. And uh, I ended up working under a guy named Rob Dietrich, who is, uh, who is whiskey royalty, one of the best to ever play the game. He is now the master distiller uh, over at Blackened, uh, which is Metallica's whiskey, doing really big things. And... Uh, he really inspired me um he he kind of showed me the ropes i mean not even intentionally i just kind of watched him and, and watched him evolve as a whiskey producer and you know I, I was just very motivated by that and then in addition to that i mean the people that i i worked the night shift with there the people that i was on the bottling line with i mean they were just so cool and everyone was so passionate about it and then lastly it was just that uh the people that i ended up working with there they were just like me they were lost souls it was like you know one guy was a uh, Uh, he went to school for engineering and he got an engineering job and he's like this sucks i'm gonna go work in whiskey you know one guy was a he was like a paramedic and he's like you know what this sucks i'm gonna go work in whiskey it was just a bunch of people who wanted to to kind of quit the grind and chase a passion and work in a whiskey distillery and there was this this brotherhood and a sisterhood there were plenty of women that worked there as well and uh it just really opened my eyes and i I haven't turned back since do you try to did you try to bring that connection you have people back home one hundred percent. You know, if if, if one day <clears throat> um if one day someone looks at me or is on a podcast talking with someone like you and says that uh, you know says that Murphy Quint was there, Rob Dietrich. I mean that that would be uh, that would be the the biggest compliment I've probably ever received in my life. Uh, just because Rob was extremely impactful for me, and I, I hope that one day I can inspire people like he did to me. But uh, yeah, I I definitely try to make sure that we've got a strong community at Cedar Ridge, especially on our operations team. I mean, in addition to being the head distiller, I'm also the director of operations. And uh, so I, I have a lot of control over that. And I make sure that uh, the team really meshes well together. And, you know, when I'm, whenever I'm hiring someone new, I don't care if they have experience. Uh, what I really care about is that they're going to fit the team that we have already, that uh, we're going we're gonna to build our chemistry together. I mean, all day long, we're essentially working on this art project, right? Yeah, we're, yeah. we're making this whiskey together. And if we, don't, if we don't love each other, if we don't want to be around each other, that's ultimately going to be reflected in the final
0: product. So I take that very seriously. So much so. And I think it's, it's a great note you said about hire people that are passionate, hire people that are intelligent, and figure it out. Figure out where they fit into the, in the business. You
1: can, you can train someone how to make whiskey the way that you want to. I mean, everyone who starts out in whiskey is going to be new at whiskey anyway, right? <laughs> right. I mean, so right, right. I mean, you're, you're going to have to train them anyway. So start out making sure that they actually want to be there. That they they actually care about the product, and then most importantly, they're going to fit the team that you have and and, and enhance it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's so important just to take a building a distillery is taking a giant risk. Why not take a risk on people who are are interested in what you're doing? It's I think it's a fundamental thing for distilleries to do. A part of it, and I I look at like Sagamore Spirit. that was exactly what the whole business model was—like hiring smart people that could figure it out. It was like, look at those guys; like they're killing it now, selling rye all across the country, becoming like almost like synonymous with rye when it comes to this smaller whiskey distillery level. And it, I applaud them each and every time I talk to them. And Ryan like Brian Tracy, who was like their head of ops and of everything. But, like, he was a guy that the company took a risk on. He was doing, like, outdoor travel (laughs) guiding or something like that, but he knew how to run a business. Exactly. Let's bring him in to run run our business as friends.
1: That's exactly it. That's the coolest thing about this is that pretty much every distiller, whether it's, you know, a a master distiller or someone who, you know, is uh, brand new and works the night shift and is just trying to start out, they all have this really unique background. I mean, very... I, I guess I'm kind of an exception because my parents started a company, <laughs> I was kind of born into it, but almost, almost everyone else um, has a really neat story just about how they wandered into this, this beautiful industry by chance, really, really for no reason, they didn't know what they were looking for, but they ultimately ended up finding it here, and I think that's so neat, that's what this is all about. I mean, we're at Wisconsin Whiskey Fest right now, and there's so many awesome distilleries, all staffed by awesome people yeah. that have very similar stories of what I'm just talking about right
0: now. Yeah, no, I fit into that category where I am probably your very odd ambassador for a distillery that never worked behind a bar. I <laughs> I I actually learned how to about whiskey at working at whiskey distilleries, you know, and working at breweries and writing for publications and things like that where I I learned my passion for inside the industry which I'm so thankful for and like my grandpa worked at Jim Beam, but you know, when you're eight years old hearing these stories, it doesn't make an impact on you until you're like in your 20s and you can actually experience it. And then it makes sense. <laughs> 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 and then you have a random Nick Brady Moss drop in <laughs> where he's just yelling and screaming, which I thought maybe be actually just be a patron that's been drinking for four hours. But then you realize it's just Nick. I'm, I'm going
1: to, yeah, maybe a little bit of both. Maybe a little Nick, maybe a little drinking, maybe a little Nick drinking. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, so, you know, you guys are making doing this distillery, doing a wine a vineyard, you come back. Is that when you guys started taking a, a big hold on bourbon and started branching out to the other whiskeys as well? Um,
1: yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. we, we had been dabbling in all forms of whiskey. I mean, so, uh, back when I was at Serena hands, before I came back to Cedar Ridge, I mean, uh, my family had been producing bourbon. They had been producing single malt. They had been producing rye, but it was all very small scale. It was a few barrels here, a few barrels there, really with no focus or real, you know, um, vision in mind. And uh, um, you know, not not only myself, I, I, I definitely cannot be credited with all this. There's so many important people that uh, contributed to this, but as a team, I mean, we we decided to go all in on it and build a little bit stronger focus and really hit the bourbon hard. But then also, um, we knew that it was important for, for our fans, the people that were going to get on board with our brand, that yeah. we're also exploring in new categories. So, you know, it, it would be cool for them to try a bottled and bond rye from Cedar Ridge. It would be cool for them to try an American single malt, which I'm deeply passionate about. Yeah. So, you know, we, we need to offer those things as well. We can't just have, we can't just have this one thing. Because you know we got to keep people on their toes. We got to keep them coming back. We got to keep them interested.
0: Sorry. Uh, yeah. No. I, I love how you guys have branched out so much too. Like, I your single malt was probably the first thing I think I might have ever. I know bourbon before, but that. But then I saw your single malt everywhere. I think I was back home actually um, for Christmas back in Iowa, and bought a bottle of that. Where I was out with my mom buying a bunch of whiskey and wine for the holidays, and it was like. Dang, these guys are coming along. Like this is awesome.
1: Hey, man, I'm glad to hear it. I really appreciate that. And yeah, i mean um, You know, I, I I would agree with that. I I think that uh, Cedar Ridge, I mean, I I obviously have always been proud of our product, but I think we have improved year over year, and I I look forward to continuing that. I you know I'm not I'm gonna be the first one to to say that, you know, when we started out, our stuff was was all right. It was it was it the best? Was it setting the world on fire? No, but. Uh, We've we've learned from every mistake. We've improved every single year, and I I know that ten years from now we're going to be dramatically better than we are right now, and that's that's the whole point of this.
0: Well, dancing goat is out of the building.
1: That, that's a sad that's a sad sense. I man. thought every vendor
0: was kind of like closing down. was like 8:45. People are already breaking down. I'm like, <laughs> where you guys going? We still got 45 minutes left. Uh, yeah, cool.
1: closing time always gets a little weird. I, I think uh, I think what happens there is. You know, people working behind the booth, they get jealous of all the people on the other side. It's like, you know, we want some booze too. And so they start closing down.
0: Of all the whiskey festivals I've been to for work, uh, there's only been once where, (laughs) collectively, the vendors in our area were like, people are too drunk, we're leaving. (laughs) (laughs) It was was in the great state of Texas, (laughs) Uh, of course. It was like a canceled event that got pushed back, and it was like a a four-and-a-half-hour event, way too long. And we're all kind of looking at each other like, yeah, there's an hour left of this event, but no one is speaking functionally whatsoever. Yep. Yeah.
1: You know, and, and not that happening here, though. And well, and I was very just cordial. Say, on that note, um, usually usually when there's a, a first-time Whiskey Fest, like this is, the, this is a first-time Whiskey Fest, correct? Um, yep. it, yeah, but, um, not,
0: but not a first-time drinking city. Um, oh, oh,
1: no. <laughs> Wisconsin has been around the block once or twice, but... Um, no, man, it, it is a first-time whiskey fest, and usually when that happens, there is a tendency for things to get really sloppy because people don't know the ropes. You know, They don't know that you need to be pounding water. They don't know that you need to stop You know, between every three visits to go grab food and kind of build that base so then people get sloppy. Spitting, spitting is encouraged. It, oh, 100%, 100%. But I got to say, I'm very, very impressed by this state and all the people here because uh, on, on the first go there's not many people getting too sloppy everyone's hanging everyone's being professional about it and I love to see it
0: where are you guys sourcing most of your grain
1: uh, so obviously with corn we're very dedicated to being 100% Iowa so uh, all of our corn comes the from the beautiful state of Iowa um, yeah, from, from the other grains there the uh, malted barley the rye we actually get out of Canada so we've got a really good malting partner uh, who, who I absolutely love prairie malt facility the prairie malt mm-hmm. facility and they're in Saskatchewan and uh, we teamed up with them i don't i don't know it's got to be like 10 years ago and (laughs) i I can't imagine working with anyone else now um they're kind of like family to us i've been up to their malting floor it's it's enormous it's so cool to see um with that being said you know one day i would love to do a little experimental floor malting of my own that's something that i kind of dream of but on, on a large scale it doesn't really make sense for us to do that so i i uh I think we'll be partnered up with them long term, but
0: all the corn comes from the state of Iowa. Did you ever fear that using grains out, outside of Iowa might take away from being like a bourbon distillery or distillery that's making this great local bourbon?
1: Uh, yes, I mean that 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 was something that I toyed around with, uh, you know, and that that's why we're deeply committed to always being 100% Iowa corn. Um, but that that really is the best we can do. I mean, there's not there's not a huge barley or rye scene in the state of Iowa. I mean, we're more mainly corn and soybeans but in addition to that even if there is barley you know there's still that malting element so you have to not only do you have to get that local barley you also have to get a local maltster to uh to malt it and so logistically it just wasn't sound it wasn't going to work out for us do i want to experiment with some local stuff one day absolutely um but i you know i i think iowans what they what they want from us and if if not I, i would love to hear from them on it but i think what they want from us is to know that we are gonna do 100% Iowa corn, yellow corn number two, and that we're gonna be that way forever, and that's something that we are committed
0: to. Nice. How was um? Were the major players like hy V big, com, big components to grow the brand?
1: Oh man, I'm um, just incredible. Shop, um,
0: shop Hy-Vee, everybody. Yeah. I mean, there's a helpful and, smile in every aisle. Check out
1: Hy-Vee. I mean. And, and not just them. I mean, you know, there, there's also uh, fairways have been great. Um, you oh, know, there, there's a number of them. But I didn't
0: know they have not sold alcohol at fairway. Uh,
1: you know, they they have underrated sections, and if you're a hunter, you can actually get some some good finds in, in fairway as well. But uh, um, yeah, man, in high Vs though, I mean, that definitely definitely helped build our brand. I mean, uh, back in let's see, it would have been like 2014, 15, 16. I, I was uh, director of sales back then, and one thing that uh, that I did with um, my guy Blake and I, uh, Blake was one of our sales reps. We created this dashboard of basically all the high Vs in the state of Iowa because that, that's actually public information. And we started tracking, all right, this hiV, they have these products at Cedar Ridge. This IV has these. And we just started kind of ticking them off a list and it's like eventually, um, you know two, three years from now, I want every hiV, every fairway to be crossed off of this list and know that they carry Cedar Ridge. And so that was actually, I mean, you know, we got really analytical about that, and we got very strategic. You know, um, by by this month, we want all the hy in Des Moines to have us. By this month, you know, we want to we want to go hit Waverly, Iowa, and, and, and get their scene. You know, I mean, we wanted to uh, strategically attack all these hy and Fairways in the state of Iowa, and that was um, a huge, huge moment in our history of, of growth at least.
0: That's um, so smart, too. I mean, right. that have them... Do that major player on, on board with your brand?
1: Well, that, that, and so not only getting to carry our product, but also hammering single barrels through them. I am about and, to ask and, that. And I think that, you know, that was a that really helped both parties. Obviously, you know, from a, from a producer standpoint, when you get them to take a single barrel, it's awesome because they are now committed to basically hand-selling that barrel, right? Oh, yeah. they, they made a significant investment in buying an entire barrel, and now they need to get rid of that and see a return on their investment. So what they're going to essentially do is hand push your brand in their store, and that's something that every producer wants. But in addition to that, on the opposite side of things, the store also wins, because now they have something unique to their store that their manager actually hand selected, and so it it kind of gives them some credibility. And now, you know, whiskey collectors want to go to their store for a -a one-of-a-kind option. So it is really a win-win. When it comes to the development of you know, new whiskey brands, whether it's Cedar Ridge or anyone else here, single barrels have been crucial to the development of the craft spirits industry.
0: Yes, yeah, no, I know. I 100. I mean, it's big for our brand as well. It's a way we're leading the charge of getting people interested in the brand, and obviously, our goal is to always bring it back to the core product, um, the core line of spirits, because you just want people drinking. Obscure stuff. You want your you want you want your core products to be the one driving the force of the brand when it comes to financially, but also awareness too, because that's what you make every day.
1: Um, exactly, and that is also yes. That that's one of the hardest things, right? Um, you want to push out all these cool whiskeys. You want to do cool stuff. You want to do single barrels, um, but at the end of the day, it always has to convert back to people purchasing your big movers. For us, it's our, our straight bourbon. You know, our That's the one that we became number one with in Iowa. So we do all these cool things like our single barrel collection. We do single barrel releases and store picks. But at the end of the day, we need people coming back to our, our straight Iowa bourbon because that's what pays the bills. That's what allows us to hire people. That's what pays people's salaries. At the end of the day, we need to convert people
0: back to that product. How do you guys w- walk that fine line between are we oversaturating our market with too many single barrels and not getting it back to the core audience of, of Cedar Ridge?
1: That, that's a great question. No one's ever actually asked me that before, and you do have to be very, very strategic on it. Um, you So what we've kind of started doing is basically allocating single barrels by quarter. Each okay. quarter, you know, we're, we're going to release this many single barrels in Iowa, this many in Wisconsin, this many in Illinois because like you said i mean if we just if we just start pumping out single barrels to anyone who wants one all of a sudden no one's going to be buying our core items and now we've got a big problem so um we we limit it and it it once again It works, you know. It's kind of killing two birds with one stone because now it creates almost an allocation of single barrels, so certain stores end up fighting over these single (laughs) barrels. So you get a little bit of queue of these stores wanting single barrels. In the meantime, the people who can't find it are going to go out and purchase our core items. So it's a
0: win-win. That's awesome. Is that? Are you doing that just for the state of Iowa or for everywhere?
1: Um, No, everywhere. Um, We are doing that everywhere, and there's uh, the strategy I just mentioned is part of it. But then there's also (laughs) get get a quick shot here. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was the question there?
0: Uh, are you doing allocations of single barrels across the entire country?
1: Um, absolutely. Uh, so, yes, we, we are doing it across the entire country um, for the strategy I, I just mentioned. But also, we don't want to oversell our bourbon. Um, we, we have reached a beautiful point, and I know that we're, we're not by any means the only distillery to do this, the only craft distillery. We have reached the point where um, there is enough demand for our product that it can start to to hurt supply a little bit you know if if we start to sell as much bourbon as we possibly can all of a sudden we start running low on supply or our product gets younger which is the death sentence you don't want to do that you don't want to go backwards so uh, because of that by default we have started allocating our bourbon and it's it's a win-win-win
0: are you only doing single barrels on your bourbon
1: uh, good question. No, we so we just this year have expanded it. Now we do some fun single barrel picks of our rye, but uh, even even more importantly to me, I, as, as I've mentioned a couple times, I'm a huge American single malt nut, yeah. and just this year we started dabbling in American single malt whiskey single barrel picks. Oh, yeah? Yep, so fun cash, cask finishes too. So um, we've got X red wine cask finish. That's what we're really pushing out right now. But next year, I think we'll even expand that a little bit further. Do some ex brandy finished single malts, uh, maybe even a little bit more. I don't want to get I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but uh, <laughs> you know that's the cool thing about our process is that our American single malt is finished in ex sherry barrels, rum barrels, port barrels, red wine, you name it, we use it, and so eventually we can start releasing all these fun single malt picks in in unique finishing casks. And I think that's going to go quite well for us.
0: I am assuming that you're. Passion for American single malt it began at Stranahan's, and that that was then translated over into Cedar Ridge.
1: Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, that, that's a that's an obvious one. When I was at Stranahan's, I absolutely fell in love with the category. But it's actually a little bit more than that. Um, when uh, when I first started there. Uh, my, good, my good friend, uh, my boy Jason uh, and I, we were working the night shift together, and I was I was still fairly new to the world of whiskey. I mean, obviously, I had worked at Cedar Ridge, I was at Stranahan's, but I hadn't really explored the category a whole lot yet. And one day we were on the night shift and he brought in uh, Balvini Caribbean Cask 14. Uh, hey. And he's like, hey man, you gotta try this. And I, I tried it and immediately loved it. So you know, now, now I'm working at this American single malt whiskey distillery, my eyes have been open to the category of scotch, so I really started exploring it and just geeking out about it. And I knew that one day when I was back at Cedar Ridge, even though we will always be a bourbon distillery, I mean, that's that's what we're doing all day, that I was going to get really involved in this American single malt thing.
0: What was the initial reaction when you brought up the idea of making single malt?
1: Um, it, you know, so it, it, it was received well because, I mean, we had already been... Messing around with a little bit of single malt—it's not like you know—I came back from hands and it's like, all right, we're gonna do our first barrel of single malt. Uh, w- we had been doing some, um, but I was definitely the one that uh, that, that talked everyone into doing more. Um, and you know what? Um, it remains to be seen if that was a great idea or not. It's gonna—it's gonna depend on how the category <laughs> develops. I'm obviously still very bullish on it. I think that uh, that the category is gonna continue to grow rapidly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have definitely been a major proponent at Cedar Ridge for. Putting away more and more single malt because, you know, worst case scenario, even if it it um, the category kind of stalls out or develops slowly, that single malt is going to get better and better the longer it sits. So, you know, other than tying up a little cash in inventory, you don't really have much
0: to lose. <laughs> Do you feel? I feel like we're we're living through history right now with American single malt, um, with as a category developing. Finding its place, obviously there's been push to define laws of American single malt, which I think are good and bad. I think it stifles the category a little bit when you kind of constrain it in that sense. Where right now, with your with your distillery and all of the other distilleries across the country, being able to play around with it, play around with those finishes, play around with so much more, and let, let the distillery itself define it. And maybe we start defining it by region. When we start making American single malts all across the country, we can define it the way that Scotland has in the regions.
1: Uh, you know, I think you make a great point. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that's a really, really great point. And you know what? I would love to see it. I would love to see, um, you know, what... what what Westland and the other distilleries on the West Coast are doing become kind of a category. I'd love to see you know, a Midwestern distillery that has certain traditions that are different right. than the West and East Coast. I think that'd be really neat. And I, I think you're right. I think we're at the forefront of history. That's the coolest thing about this mm. is that no one really knows where it's going. <laughs> you know, We're all working as an association to develop the language and, and to kind of start this process, but where it's gonna go, nobody knows. Right. Um, it, it, it's, it's anyone's best guess. But I can say that I'm very, very excited That it's at least starting. Um, The reason I am excited about that is, you know, we've seen. Obviously, everyone knows single malt Scotch. Obviously, everyone knows you know Irish single malt. But you know now uh, we're we're getting so many good Japanese single malts. There's Taiwanese single malts. There's Indian single malt. And you know, it's time for America to be putting out some really cool single malts here. And. And obviously we are. I just think it needs to be a recognized category over time.
0: Couldn't agree more. I mean, obviously I sell single malt, so I guess I'm a little biased to that. Uh, but it's just that we have, like you mentioned, we have the soil. We, yes. even though you're getting the grains from Canada, um, it's, it's still a North American product in that sense.
1: Oh, oh for sure. But um, that's the cool thing is that you know you can also find your, what you hang your hat on. And, and for certain, certain distilleries, it comes down to grain. Like I mentioned, mm. Westland. I think I think Westland's a good example yeah. of that um, they do some really cool grain stuff. But at Cedar Ridge, um, we're not really hanging our hat on the barley as, as the main component of it. What we're doing is cool finishing cask, um, cool finishing casks because we're a winery-distillery combination. So, you know, we've got all these fun ex-wine barrels, ex-rum, ex-port, ex-brandy that we can utilize in that process. So that's what we're hanging our hat on. And, you know, um, uh, for instance, Santa Fe Spirits. I'm mm-hmm. a huge, huge fan of Santa Fe Spirits. And uh, what they're hanging their hat on is uh, they do an awesome mesquite. Uh, single malt you know everyone knows peated single malt they do a mesquited and so everyone's kind of doing different things to find their own stick and and i think to your point i think eventually that might develop into regional traditions so we'll see how it
0: pans out i think how how that whole excuse me um subject relates to everything is that you all have purpose there's purpose behind what you're doing your distillery to represent the place of which you come from
1: absolutely i couldn't agree more with that
0: i mean that's where i feel like these these trends get distilleries lost because you're just chasing something that's out in the market already chasing something that's already been viable for other people and see if you can clamp onto that and yes make money right away like yeah it's a huge part of this industry obviously you want to make money but are you being able to define yourself as a distillery that can represent itself every single time when a new expression comes out
1: uh, that, that's a really good point, and I think that's that's a mistake that, that people commonly make is that they, I mean, you know, they they jump on board with what they think everyone wants or I mean, what everyone else is doing, and and that oftentimes fails. What you have to do is you have to stay true to yourself. You have to embrace what you have and what makes you cool, because ultimately, a lot of these consumers that we're dealing with, they're looking they're looking at this as art. They right. don't. They don't want you to make what you think they'll like. <laughs> they, they, I mean, no, they want to try what you think is going to be made. They want you to try what you think is cool. And so that, that's what this is all about, is producing an art that they can experience. And if you do it the other way around, I mean, maybe it's possible, but you're, just, you're so much less likely to succeed. You have to embrace what you have, and you have to work
0: with it. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that's a good place to end since the, literally they're tearing <laughs> down the event around us right now. Yes, the are. drape is coming down. Um, Those are coming down. Hey, we got a quick 35-minute discussion in there. We'll definitely do a longer one in the future. but. So, it's such a pleasure to have you here. So glad that I could finally be represented on this podcast properly. Yeah, awesome. Um, Well, good luck with everything, and we'll definitely see you soon. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This was a ton of fun. Look forward to it. Anytime. Cheers.